Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Aquadox, the podcast that keeps you up to date on all things aquatic medicine. I'm your host, Michelle Greenfield. Today, I have the great pleasure of speaking with Dr. Claire Madden, a veterinarian at Village Roadshow Theme Parks located in Australia. Hi, Dr. Madden. Thanks for being on Aquadox. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk with you. I'm so excited. Ever since, you know, we connected over social media and now and now we're getting to do this. You're our first Australian veterinarian on the podcast. So to start off, I just wanted to ask, you know, how did you get to be the vet of SeaWorld Gold Coast Australia, which is the largest marine park in Australia? Yeah, so I mean, I've had a very interesting path in how I got here. I always, 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 for as long as I can remember, I've had an innate passion for wildlife, particularly Australian native wildlife. Bit hard to not fall in love with our adorable koalas, inquisitive echidnas and kangaroos. They're just such a plethora of amazing critters. So from a very young age, I did fall in love with our Australian wildlife. From there, I did Bachelor of Science majoring in wildlife biology when I left high school. And got out and actually became a zookeeper. Uh, So for about five or six years, I myself was a zookeeper working on the ground at a couple of the zoological institutions here in Australia. And after a while, I felt like I needed to take my zookeeping a bit further. I just didn't feel like I was having the impact on a conservation level like I really wanted to. My passion was just urging me to go back and do more. And I toyed with the idea of doing a PhD because I had previously done an honours research project looking at the short-beaked echidna and researching its reproductive assessment. So I was toying with the idea of going and doing a PhD and furthering that research into echidnas, but decided on applying for vet school because it just gave me a greater scope of capability upon graduation fortunate enough to get into vet school. And from there, I utilised my contacts that I'd established as a zookeeper and got straight back into that zoo field as a new graduate, that good old saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. So certainly utilised the contacts and connections that I had. A lot of that time post-vet school was volunteer work until I started to secure some paid locum work. And then from there was able to pursue full-time contracts and Here at SeaWorld, I was volunteering and coming in and assisting the vet that was here, Dr. David Blyde, with procedures before I was asked to come and work here, again, volunteering my time. And then there was a a position available and I was fortunate enough to be offered that position. So started off as a zookeeper, went back to vet school and, and then here I am. So very, very lucky to be where I am and I'm very grateful to be working where I am at this point of my career. That's a great story. And I think it really underlines what we've talked about previously on the podcast, which is it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of dedication, definitely some luck in there and conversations with people. And that's really how you make it in this field. That's absolutely right. I mean, we're very textbook heavy when we go through vet school. There's a lot of theory that we need to do, but having that practical skills and getting yourself out there and just getting amongst it and showing people that your passion is real, I think opportunities just fall in front of you. If if you're really pursuing a a deep-seated passion, things will evolve and things will happen and life does work out in the end. It's nice to see a good story like yours, you know, every now and then that, hey, it does work out. And speaking of things working out, I really want to talk about one of the cases that you just went through because it's a great story and I think our listeners are going to love it. So to preface, you recently had a case with a cetacean that was anemic and it received three blood transfusions from two different donors. So, so much to go here. So let's start off with the basics. What is anemia and which species was it affecting? 
So anemia basically is a loss of red blood cells. There's a lot of different causes for anemia. The most common cause is trauma and you just lose whole blood. And as a result of losing whole blood, you lose some of those red blood cells that are cruising around the body. There's other causes of anemia like chronic disease where an animal might be chronically unwell and the body just starts to absorb or or consume those red blood cells. The red blood cells can get destroyed within the blood vessels and it's called intravascular hemolysis. So there's a whole plethora of conditions that can lead to an animal losing red blood cells, which is what anemia effectively is. And is anemia common in cetaceans? Look, I wouldn't say it was common, but it wasn't a rarity. It's not one of those zebra cases where you just don't have on your radar. And certainly for Kyra, the dolphin that we're referencing here, her condition that led to the anemia, so she had gastritis. Gastritis is inflammation of the stomach, and that in itself in cetaceans is the common part of her clinical picture because cetaceans have a really acidic stomach. The normal pH of a dolphin can be as low as 1.4. So they've got incredibly acidic stomach. Therefore, they can predispose them to inflammation of that stomach lining, which is what gastritis is. And if that gastritis becomes chronic or severe, it can lead to that stomach lining bleeding and then dolphins will lose blood through their stomach wall. I just want to take a moment and appreciate what you just said. A dolphin's stomach has a pH of 1.4. That is incredibly acidic. You got it. And I read that line going, uh, am I reading this right? Because it's just unfathomable to think it's that acidic. But then when you think about it, they're eating those fish and they need to digest the bone because they're eating that whole fish and they can, they can digest that fish meat and that bone in a really short period of time. So we're talking, you know, six hours time, that bone is absorbed because of the acidity of that stomach. It makes sense why that physiology is what it is, but it's really cool to think that a a mammal has an acidic stomach. You just think it's not really compatible to life, right? Wow, that is an incredible fact. Okay, so this dolphin had gastritis, so it had inflammation of the stomach. And what was your diagnostic pathway then going from that leading to the anemia? Yeah, so effectively with Kyra, just to give you a sense of her clinical picture, our trainers work really closely with the animals here. They've got some incredibly strong bonds. The human-animal bonds between animals and trainers is quite a unique relationship to experience. And the trainers pick up subtle changes in behaviour very early on in the piece. So they did pick up some subtle behavioural changes, which were just lack of participation, unwillingness to want to come over to a trainer, a reduction in her appetite. None of these were marked behavioural changes, just really subtle changes that the trainers identified. So from that time point, what we always do is we take some bloods, which we can do voluntarily with our animals here at SeaWorld. So we can look for medical reasons because we know with cetaceans, with their cognitive ability, that sometimes subtle behavioural changes can be a social thing. Just like you and I, their personalities and their moods change. And on one given day, they want to be hanging out with these two other dolphins and the next morning they've had a hiccup and they don't want to be in that same vicinity anymore. But we have a rule here that we always exclude medical causes of behavioural changes first and then we'll explore the social settings thereafter. 
So we did that with Kyra. We noticed some subtle behavioural changes, including that lower food drive. She missed something like half a kilo of her normal daily feed intake. So it wasn't anything major. We took some bloods and her blood work wasn't too abnormal at this time point. Her hematocrit or her packed cell volume, which tells us how many red blood cells are cruising around in her bloodstream, was actually still within a normal range. But then what our really diligent trainers did note was that she became a little bit flatter and she actually did pass some urine that was a bit coloured. And from there, we got a little bit concerned that she potentially may have been getting some bleeding somewhere and we elected to bring her up to the hospital hospital so we could monitor a bit more closely, including monitoring her blood work closely. And from there, we noticed a really rapid drop in that pap cell volume. So we knew at this time point that we had something going on. I wasn't sure where she was bleeding from or if in fact the anemia was being caused by blood loss. And we started to do further diagnostic testing such as imagery, so x-rays and ultrasounds, and also sending her bloods out of house to the labs to explore whether we had these other causes of anemia that we mentioned earlier. Okay. So you got all this diagnostic workup, you looked at pack cell volume, you looked at other blood parameters, and then what was your next step? What were you thinking next? So as we've already mentioned with this really low pH, we know that the common thing that dolphins can get is this gastritis. So we did a scope so we can have a look, an endoscopic examination of her stomach. So I can visualise this first chamber of the stomach, which is the region that we know can flare up and can get really unhappy. So we did our scope and we did identify that the mucosa or the lining of that stomach, it was a really pale colour, but also the contents of the liquid within that stomach was a really browny, rusty colour, which was the red blood cells hitting that acidic environment. So instead of being bright red, it shows up like a brown coloration. So I knew at that time point when I could visualize the inside of that first chamber of the stomach in Kyra, I knew at this time point that we were dealing with the gastritis and I knew that the likelihood of her losing those red blood cells was into that stomach secondary to that gastritis. So for our listeners who might not be as familiar with gastritis and blood loss, why is it so important to identify this blood loss so quickly? Basically for us, we needed to not only identify the diagnosis, but you need to then act upon it. So while an animal is actively bleeding, whether that's in a skin wound and they're bleeding outside of the body or whether they're actively bleeding, like in Kyra's case, into her stomach, she is losing blood and you need to act upon it to ensure that you not only stop that blood, but you also stop any secondary complications that might arise due to the blood loss. So in our case, we had to act very swiftly to try and slow down the gastritis or ease the severity of the gastritis, which you can do with medications. So you can use gastric protectants and there's a whole handful of of medications we can give to protect that stomach lining and tell it to just settle down. But also in doing that, you are then slowing down the rate at which you are losing blood into that stomach. Now, with Kyra, the reason we went to the severity of doing blood transfusions in her and not just a single blood transfusion was the rate of her blood loss was happening so quickly. 
So by the time we were able to do the endoscopic exam and then repeat her blood work, she actually went from a pack cell volume of 42 right down to a pack cell volume or a PCV of 11%. Normal is up in that 40 percentile for those who don't know reference ranges for pack cell volumes. Anything less than 15%, you start to get worried about the animal decompensating because red blood cells are not only important for function of life, but they actually carry around oxygen, around to all of the vital organs and, and body parts. And so whilst you've got a low amount of red blood cells cruising around, you know that your oxygen carrying capacity to all of your vital organs has been compromised as well. And when you get to a percentile like Chira, you know you're in a lot of trouble and you've got to act swiftly and invasively if we had a chance of turning her around. Yeah, 11%. That's real. That's really scary. So we mentioned that you ended up giving a blood transfusion, which we're going to talk about in a second. But if you don't have that ability to do that, what else can you do for an animal in this case? Well, as I've already mentioned, with Kyra medical management, so getting all of those gastric protectants on board, so they're not only going to line the stomach wall to try and calm the wall physically, calming the wall of the stomach, you're also giving medications to increase that pH from 1.4, elevate it a little bit higher to take away some of that acidic environment because that could be having some implications or effects on the inflamed stomach wall whilst it's so unhappy, but also removing whatever might be in that stomach. So that might be a matter of withholding foods. So it's every time you present that bone or the fish to that stomach wall, you're effectively making it work. So you withhold food to tell that stomach just to settle down and removing anything else that might already be in that stomach, emptying that stomach right out. So then there's no mechanical action or there's no need for that stomach to have to work at all effectively whilst you're getting all of these medications on board. And that's what we did with Kyra. We emptied her stomach out. We gave her a plethora of gastric protectants. We stopped feeding her for a period of time. And then we were able to curb the bleeding that way way but in the interim we were to support her until that gastritis settled down and we supported her with the blood transfusions. So what does a blood transfusion look like in a dolphin? So a blood transfusion is effectively where we take blood from a donor animal so we utilized one of our male inshore dolphins here who was a very kind donor for us and then we effectively administer that whole blood product into Kyra or into the patient. So in Kyra, we were able to take blood on one occasion from one of our male inshore dolphins. We were able to get only about one and a half litres and we gave it as a whole product. There is an option with blood transfusions to separate the blood. So you can separate the blood from the red blood cells themselves and from everything else that cruises around in the bloodstream, or you can elect to just give it as it is. And that's what we did in the instance of Kyra. A, we were a little bit time poor and we were just really effectively wanting to get that pack cell volume higher than that 11 percentile. But also secondary, it can help in some instances to get some of those other products like proteins and things that are cruising around in the bloodstream with those red blood cells. So that's what we did with Kyra on day one or on that first blood transfusion. And within the 24 hours the following day, she received the further eight. 800 mils. And had this been done before in cetaceans or was this one of the first times? 
So blood transfusions have been done in cetaceans before. It certainly isn't world first what we did, but giving multiple transfusions from the same donor, that isn't commonly performed, simply because you increase the risk of the animal receiving that blood, having a reaction. It's not their blood product. And what our immune system is designed to do with anything foreign that enters our body, bacteria, virus, or in this instance, whole blood from another animal, the immune system is designed to attack it and fight it because it's foreign and it's not what's supposed to be there. So the immune system's doing what it's supposed to do, but in the instance of blood transfusions, the immune system works against us. So what we do do to try and reduce the incidence of any reactions is we do give dexamethasone, a steroid, and we give an antihistamine or histamil, which is also a chloramphenamine. And we give that to try and reduce the incidence of having a reaction. But no, the instance of giving two lots of transfusions, and then as we're about to delve into as well, three transfusions from two donors is even riskier still. But in the sake of Kyra, she required that extra blood volume and going back to the first donor just wasn't an option for us. I mean, I think this is a great example of you're trained in one thing, but in dire circumstances, you got to do whatever you can to keep that animal alive. That's absolutely right. In the sake of Kyra, the blood that she was losing into the stomach and the level of gastritis that literally just flared up overnight, we would have had a deceased animal at the end of it. And that was the the fact that I was faced with, that I had to run this gauntlet of potentially exposing her to a, a transfusion reaction. But I knew if she didn't receive that blood product, she potentially wasn't going to pull through anyway. So it was a very hard clinical decision to make. But at the end of the day, that's what we needed to keep her going until that stomach settled down. So you mentioned a minute ago that not only did you give the two transfusions from the one donor, but then you had to give a third transfusion from a second donor. So let's talk a little bit about what happened there. Yeah, so when you give blood, you know, the animals do react to it. The immune system's going to gobble away or destroy a lot of those red blood cells. So you know what you're topping up. So from that 11, we got her up to 15. But I knew within 24 hours to 48 hours, that 15 was realistically still only about a 14 or a 13 percentile. So I knew that she was going to either drop a few percentile, but also I didn't know what sort of blood loss was also still occurring. So we did wait 48 hours after she received that second lot of blood from the first donor before I contemplated giving her more blood. And I was monitoring that packed cell volume to see how much of it was a real elevation that we caused giving her the blood transfusion. And so at that 48 hour mark after her second transfusion, it was evident that we didn't get her to where we wanted. And where we wanted was above that 15%. And I should probably mention that that when you have an animal losing blood, you're always looking at your CBC or, or your chemistry panel to see if you've got any indications or markers of regeneration. So that basically tells me that her body is producing red blood cells and her body's trying to keep up with the losses that she's experiencing. And in the beginning, when we gave those transfusions, there was no evidence of regeneration going on. So I knew that her losses were greater than her production. And that's where we're jumping at transfusion. So it was a no brainer for me that I needed to give her some more blood at that point. And quick shout out to my block five friends here who are studying anemia right now. You know, in dogs and cats, when you're trying to decide if an anemia is regenerative, meaning your body is responding and able to replenish the low red blood cell count, 
you're looking for an increase in immature red blood cell production, meaning an increase in absolute reticulocyte count and increased polychromatophils. Is that the same for dolphins? Exactly the same. You hit the nail on the head. So you're looking for that reticulocyte count. You want that to giving you an indication that there's some of those immature red blood cells cruising around. And you look at that mean corpuscular volume. Do I have those big immature red blood cells cruising around in that bloodstream or not? And unfortunately for Kyra, both of those parameters on my CBC were low or almost obsolete. So I just knew that her body at that point was not compensating for the losses that she was experiencing. Okay, so the PCV was still low. You gave the third transfusion. What happened next? So at this time point, we were comfortable that she was responding to her gastric protectant medication. We knew that her stomach was empty. So we we basically knew that there was not much more that we could do. And fortunately, the gastritis did take a turn. So we knew that we were getting indications that her blood losses were reducing. So it told us that that gastritis was settling down. And we could confirm this by repeating the endoscopic exam of that first chamber of her stomach. So I was going back in there with the camera and having a really good visualisation and could confirm an empty stomach, could also confirm that the mucosa and the lining of that stomach wall was looking far more normal than what it was a few days prior. And also on ultrasound, you can look at things like gut motility, gastric clearing time, all that sort of stuff comes into play and we're getting a much better clinical picture. And even in herself, she was showing that she was starting to feel a little bit brighter. So we knew we were ticking a few boxes at this time point and we sort of just pulled back on the blood transfusions even though she was still in the teens she clinically was doing better and we just continued with the medical management at this time point and so now that everyone's on the edge of their seats wanting to hear how she's doing at the end of all of this did everything turn out well she's doing great still giving smiles and eating fish every day now Yes, absolutely. I'm very, very happy to report that Kyra, despite spending a protracted period of time here at hospital, Kyra has gone back with the pod. I am very happy that we were able to share that clinical case together, as in Kyra and I, as much as she gave me a fright of my life, it certainly was a good lesson for me. And I have a lot of people to thank with the case. I did reach out to a lot of people to help because it was such a scary case. And this is one of the things with being a vet, not every case you will treat the same and my next anemic dolphin I have no doubts is going to unfold very differently to how Kyra did but I did reach out to the guys at National Marine Mammal Foundation I had Jenny Megan and Forrest Gomez helping me out and Dr David Blyde as well who's a consultant here for SeaWorld and it's sort of one of those key things just talking about that collaborative approach is it's never ever inappropriate to reach out and say that you don't know and say that you need help as a veterinarian throughout your whole career it's very important that you have the humility to be able to reach out to your peers and get help and assistance particularly with cases like Kyra where they're a little bit complex and and not quite ticking all the boxes and and at the end thankfully we were all able to get her through and we made the right clinical judgments and calls along the way well first off I'm so happy that this story has a good ending, right? You love a good story like that. And there, I'm sure were many scares and sleepless nights along the way, but you know, it's really kudos to, to you and everyone you just mentioned that you've collaborated with that you can take an animal who is clearly on death's door. And if you didn't intervene, likely would have had a really poor prognosis and you turned everything around and now she's back and swimming along. So really it's, it's amazing work that you did. Uh, thanks, Michelle. And, and look, 
mentioning that, I mean, the trainers, they were with her around the clock. We were providing her 24-hour care while she was at her most critical time point. And, and that was sort of that collaboration on the ground here, the team effort, is what gets animals through. It's monitoring them, it's understanding them, it's keeping a close eye on them and doing what they need and being proactive about their treatments and, and those clinical decisions. So, look, at, at, I can talk about it comfortably because I've taken a deep breath now, but as you say, yes, there was many sleepless nights and it was a very interesting case but very happy to talk about it and chat with any vet out there who might come across a very similar case in the future. Yeah, and I'm really glad we're having this conversation because this is applicable to dolphins from your experience, but anemia is something that affects pretty much any species. And so just taking this experience, you can apply it to others. And I really appreciate that you talked about the collaboration and that aspect of veterinary medicine because it's so important and no one necessarily teaches you that you should go reach out to your colleagues, but that's what we're doing. That's a huge part of medicine. Yeah, that's exactly right. No one does teach you. You sort of get taught in vet school that you need to know everything and you should know everything. And that is never the case. I mean, even the most experienced vets should be still learning because technology and medications and our understanding is changing. And through Kyra's case, we now know that we can give three transfusions from two donors with the right medications on board to reduce the likelihood of reactions. And I hope I can instill confidence in a clinician, as I say, that might come across this in the future, knowing that it's been done now before without poor side effects. And we got it through. And so hopefully it builds that confidence and we can all grow as colleagues and help future cetaceans going forward. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. Since we mentioned it, this collaborative aspect is obviously a really big lesson that anyone listening should really take to heart. Do you have any other advice for our student listeners about just anything within veterinary medicine? I think the number one thing with being a vet is enjoy yourself. It is such a rewarding career and it's too often that we can become bombarded by the stresses and the pressures that are put on us when we're having, you know, like the case of Kyra, the pressure that she had to pull through. You've got all the emotion. You've got this incredible individual in front of you and you know it's do or die and you've got this fork in the road. You've just got to be able to enjoy the ride and not let the pressures of, of a case like that ruin the career for you. It is sensationally rewarding, fun career, and it does come in its ebbs and waves. You're going to have your wins, you're going to have your losses. And I'm just fortunate to say that Kyra was one of those wins that I'll always hold close to my heart and be incredibly proud for. But I've had my losses, don't you worry, and I hold them just as close to my heart. Too often they you tend to remember your losses as opposed to your wins, and that can sometimes ruin the ride. But enjoy it, guys. It's the most fulfilling career, and I couldn't imagine myself doing anything other than what I am. Well, that's amazing. And I think anyone listening, myself included, feels the same way. We do this because we love it, and we got to be ready for those lows and really appreciate the highs. That's right. And as I said, especially when you first get out, you're going to remember all those losses more than your wins. So try and hold on to those wins because they're there. You're going to be getting more wins than losses, but it's because we put so much pressure on ourselves because we're so passionate about the role that we undertake. It's important to be able to try and push those losses aside and keep progressing forward. And as I say, enjoy it, guys. Incredible advice. And this has been absolutely amazing. What an incredible story. Dr. Madden, thank you so much for sharing this story on Aquadox. 
Oh, you are very welcome. Thank you so much for allowing me to come and have this conversation with you. It's great to be able to get this case out there so other people can learn and grow. And I hope to be back sometime soon. This has been fun. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Aquadocs. I'd like to thank Dr. Claire Madden for being on the show this week, as well as thank all of you, our wonderful listeners, for tuning in. As always, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay up to date on the latest Aquadocs news. And give us five stars on Apple Podcasts if you've got an extra moment. I'm Michelle Greenfield. Stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll see you next time here on Aquadocs.